All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Tangent Podcast. This is our weekly, semi-weekly, what is is the term I've been using? Uh, Segment. This is our weekly, semi-weekly segment uh, called Passion as a Business, where we talk to people who are doing what they love for a living. And that's everybody at every stage of the game, whether you're starting, whether you're feet on the ground in Hollywood like our first guest was, or people just starting out uh, and people in the middle yeah, all over the place. Anybody that's working on doing what they love for a living. Those watching and listening in the future, uh, this was recorded live on caffeine.tv slash T3G Media. Uh, we do this live so that we can have live conversation, take questions from the audience. Today, my guest is a high school friend of mine. So I've known this man coming up a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many years it's been. I don't want to count right now. It's been a few. It's been several many years. And yeah. uh, this is Michael Emirates. How are you today, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? I am good. Uh, Mike, you're an, I've always known you as an artist. You, you, I remember you would show me the coolest stuff. Like I remember you like showed me stuff that was very H.R. Geiger-esque <laughs> even before I knew who H.R. Geiger was. <laughs> so, like, I would see H.R. Gargar, I'm like, I've seen this kind of stuff before. Like, this isn't revolutionary to me. <laughs> like, like I've seen this this style, this genre of, of art before. So that, to me, was always uh, kind of my own little pri- private thing. I was like, I've, I've seen artists like this before. But, but you are an artist in every sense of the word. You've done traditional 2D pencil on paper. You've done stop motion which is ridiculous like to me as a concept that like the patience required for that is incredible let's let's start all the way at the beginning when you when you were a wee young man a wee young man back in the day what what drew you towards art pardon the pun that was on us that was on um unplanned that's uh that's actually really funny because uh my mom tells a story all the time uh it's a little like kind of anecdotal maybe maybe it wasn't necessarily like the first uh like artist moment but um i think it was sort of like uh out of necessity like i uh almost like as like a problem solving sort of tool so anyways the story she always tells is um i used to love playing with like matchbox cars and stuff my dad was really into him and he had this like duffel bag full of matchbox cars from when he was a kid right but um i was left alone for like a moment Um, my mom (laughs) used to work nights and she would often like fall asleep on the couch and i'd just kind of be playing around in the living room i had to have been maybe like two or three at the time and when she woke up i had taken a black magic marker and drawn roads all over the tile in the kitchen and (laughs) carpet and (laughs) just all over the apartment. That's outstanding. That is <laughs> so, outstanding. I think that's safe to say that was my first experience with art and kind of uh, just using it to facilitate something I needed in my life, I guess. That's <laughs> fantastic. It's, it's kind of always been like that ever since. It's I never like set out to to be an artist. It was just kind of part of my life. You know, it was something that I really it, it filled every spare moment of my time. Um, when I got a, a little bit older than that, like not not much more, but again, I used to have to go with my mom to uh, to various jobs that she worked. Um, we just didn't have money for a babysitter, and you know whatever the circumstances sure. were, I would come with mom to work, and she would just put me in this little crib or have somebody keep an eye on me, and I just had 
crayons and, and pencils and whatever to, to keep me busy. And it sort of just embedded that in my mind that like, you know, when you have nothing else to do or when you need to occupy your time, this is something that you do, you know? Right. And like I had other options. Of course, you gave me like the blocks and toys and whatever, but that was just the stuff that I naturally gravitated towards. I just, I wanted to make little pictures and stuff. And then uh, once I got into like grade school, um, I started getting super into comics. Um, I think around kindergarten, uh, my mom and my dad started like uh, encouraging me to, to do better in school and to pay attention more in school because I, I was always drawing instead of doing what I was supposed to do. <laughs> so um, to, to encourage me to do what I was supposed to do, um, they would buy me comics during like Bribery, the parent teachers com uh, conferences or whatever. Method. Yeah, totally. So, you know, I started collecting like Ninja Turtles, uh, He-Man comics, G.I. Joe. Uh, eventually I got around to like X-Men and Spawn and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, it just, it really kind of evolved from that. Just the, the storytelling aspect and, uh, and just sort of out of necessity. I, I just felt like I needed it for whatever reason. And I just have never, ever stopped. I've, I've switched disciplines occasionally, but it's more or less like I'm just interested in something for a time, you know, and I'll, I keep piggybacking off of whatever I've done before. So like you mentioned stop motion and that was sort of a culmination of a lot of different things. Um, I, I love drawing. So I did a lot of preliminary sketches and drawings for that. Um, I love uh, sculpting, which I had to do a lot of sculpting for that. I love working with my hands and making like mechanical things. And so I, I learned how to, uh, how to weld and, wow. <laughs> and how to drill metal and, and ball bearings and all that kind of stuff um, to do that. And I love animation. Like that was a real kind of culmination of a lot of stuff. And then set design and stuff too from when I was working in film. Uh, but yeah, everything just sort of... Uh, it's like an endless quest. I don't know. I, I think it's more of an obsession than anything else. But, <laughs> well, that's sometimes that's what it is, right? Sometimes it is it is about just having to do it. It's not even something that like you know, art. You didn't choose art. Art chose you. Oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. No, that that's a great point too. Because you know, there have been times when I wish that I could kind of stop, like because it it's. I, I love it and there's nothing that I'd rather be doing, but at the same time, it is kind of isolating sometimes, or at least has been. I, sure. I think it's a lot less um, as we've, you know, gotten further into the digital age and you can actually, you know, connect with people without necessarily having to leave your studio. That's True. huge. Right. That's absolutely huge. That's enormous. I mean, I've, I've been part of some of the, the, the big art hangouts till the mm -hmm. wee hours of the morning. You know, we're talking mm -hmm. to people in, on the east coast of Canada, like the eastern than <laughs> east coast time, which I, I didn't even yeah. know that, that there was more east of the continent. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Germany and Australia. Yeah, and all Spain over the place. And, yeah. It's, it's, oh, I love it. And it's, it's so great being able to connect with people that are interested in what you're interested in from all over the world, you know, and, and everybody's got different sensibilities and tastes and, and, and history and experience and to just at the snap of a finger or, or the push of a button, I should say, uh, be able to, to access people like that and, and to talk to them and pick their brains or just hang out and, and talk about nonsense. It's, it's great. Definitely. Definitely. I, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I, I think it's very interesting to to see that kind of revolution. When you look at, I, I was I was just thinking about this the other day. I was looking at some comics that happened to be at my local comic shop, 
and I was uh, just kind of perusing, and I'm like, there are so many names that I don't know. There are just <laughs> so many names that I've never heard of, and I think back 10, 15, certainly 20 years, you know, the mid-90s, early 90s, late 80s, there were a handful of artists, like a handful of names. Like, mm-hmm. Batman was handled by one of a handful of people. X-Men was one of a handful of people. It was always kind of the same people. I mean, I remember my my joke for a long time, especially like in the 90s and early 2000s about DC is that you could just interchange any artist because it all kind of looked the same. Whereas (laughs) now there is such a variety across the board. Like you pick up a Green Lantern book this week, it's a completely, completely different artist next week. And I think, like you said, the digital age has, has brought people together on a huge level. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's great for the industry too. I mean, I I love your classic kind of comic style, quote unquote, you know. Um, but oh, I think that? it's just a breath of fresh air that there's so many different influences going into comics now. I, I think it's amazing, for especially sure. coloring. Oh my god, coloring has just gotten so much better. It's beautiful. I, I, I the kind of stuff that they do with colors now. I, I forget. I picked up something yesterday, and it was. Kind of, I don't know, remember what book it was, but I, I flipped it open. And I'm like, oh, they went with the like pencils straight to colors. And mm. really, back in the day, you couldn't have done that. Welcome, Lord no. Rampant Hump, <laughs> to the broadcast. We're speaking with Michael Emeritz. He's an artist uh, from the Chicago area. I've actually known him since high school, uh, but he is a, he's a professional artist. He currently has, and this is going to be the next thing I brought up. Uh, that's him right there, Space Cat 462. He currently is working on a comic book series called Space Cat. And thank what? you, Lord Raymond Hump. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> uh, he is uh, also working on something. Can we talk about the submissions? Uh, I mean, uh, not yeah, at length, like in, but in you're general. submitting to some stuff. To some yeah. big name stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> sub- submitting and getting upset- accepted are two different things. But, sure. Um, but yeah, in general, I can kind of we can kind of touch on it, but I don't want to get too deep into certainly, certainly, about certainly. It but uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a, a series of shorts actually that I'm submitting to Heavy Metal Magazine, which is um, I kind of glossed over that that part of my history, um, but that was a huge, huge, huge part of uh, of me being exposed to comics and getting interested in comics because I love superheroes. Don't get me wrong, but sure. what really made me want to make comics was things that weren't quite in that same realm. So uh, honestly, things like Earthworm Jim <laughs> and Doug Tenable, uh for some reason that that sort of aesthetic uh, really really appealed to me at the time. But um, as far as comics. Heavy Metal showed me that, hey, you can make comics that don't have to look like these streamlined kind of superhero books that you Definitely. see. And that blew my mind. And uh, and since then, I've just been an enormous fan. And I think also it had a little bit to do with like how young I was, and I, I probably shouldn't have been reading it at the time. <laughs> and so there's that kind of mystery. It was a little you know? something, just, just like the next age range. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm reading this, and no one else on the playground knows about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're reading Archie but, uh, Heavy Metal. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had a bit of an advantage because my dad had a comic shop for a couple years when I was a kid. So we used to get heavy metals in all the time. And once in a while, there'd be one out of the bag, either like under the counter or in the back someplace. And I'd sneak off into like the back alley and like just read it as, as much as I could before I got caught. <laughs> so that's great. But, uh, that, that, that's stuff like that is definitely huge especially because of the impact of that like you said oh, yeah. there is there is this streamlined sleek look that mainstream books provide that if you're an artist and you don't really fit into that mold and you don't really create stuff that looks like that you could definitely feel discouraged by the by the medium itself everything that comes oh, yeah. out is really kind of polished and i mean i was looking at uh even like horror books like straight up books that are supposed to be horror friday the 13th mm -hmm. books they're just really clean and polished and they look like you know this this i don't know like you know i, I call them pretty books you know like you've got artists that are just create pretty books aspen comics for instance for me is the pretty comic book company everything mm -hmm. they put out is gorgeous even if like it's like oh big angry monster gorgeous <laughs> like <laughs> like there's no there's no grit there's no texture and that's the thing with like heavy metal and a lot of that like stuff like that kind of led me into being way more accepting of indie books because I'll, I'll be honest like in the 90s when i really first started reading comics when i would get a book that was kind of like not that polished style that was more of a gritty more textured like heavier use of cross hatching like deeper inks things like that Mm -hmm. I would throw me off and I'd be like, I don't know if I like this. Yeah. Well, then like I would be exposed to like, I've, I've had a, I have, I think one issue of heavy, heavy metal. I've had it for years at this point. I don't even know how long I've had it, but it's one of those things that like I, I go through it and I'm like, man, this is, there's so much story here. There's so much depth and that all kind of plays in with the style. So then like it, it kind of broadened my scope and broadened my senses as far as what indie was and what, what, what you could get out of it because to me yeah. back in the day like in the 90s indie was image which was really just another polished company oh yeah <laughs> that, i was just gonna say like in the 90s and and before then indie comics almost meant like underground you know like right. you you would have to be in the region that the creators were were releasing them to even know about them for the most part you know unless right. you had 100%. a few rare gems like too much coffee man or milk and cheese and whatever that would somehow make it into diamond eventually but right. that was because they were so they they'd made the rounds you know right. people started they'd knowing push, they just pushed into the culture Right. But like a truly indie book, like something that was new, you had no way of even knowing about it. Even the Internet wasn't really what it is today. Like you would have to know the exact address that you were going to find it at. Even, <laughs> right. You know, very true. Like, so. Um, so, yeah, you're totally right. Like the indie books that, that you would see. I mean, <laughs> they, they weren't that great. Like, let's be honest, they right. weren't that great. Um, or if they were. Um, they weren't getting in front of the kind of people that could uh, that could get them that exposure that they deserved and to, to get them in the hands of readers. So you had stuff like Heavy Metal that kind of collected all these people together and, and curated them to an extent. And, and that was like a window into all these different kinds of possibilities. You had uh, people doing watercolors for, for their comics. You had people doing colored pencils or, like you were saying, heavy inks and ink washes and stuff that you would just never see in a Marvel yeah. book, unless it was like Alex Ross doing it or something. Right. But even then, that had a very particular kind of look. But I remember, um, I want to say it was like 97, 98, the uh, the Generation X comic, which was kind of like the the it was the the young kids uh, 
oh, X-Men yeah. book. They had, <laughs> yeah. they had hired, and this was, I, remember, I don't remember what the impetus was for it. All I know is that one day they were like, we're advertising for it. It was in Wizard Magazine, and they did Gen X Underground. And huh. it was literally, they were like, we hired all these underground artists. And I, the thing that all this stood out to me from the ads and the, when I eventually got my hands on it, all the art was super, super blocky. Like all the faces were square and like, not square, square, but like, you know, they were angular. Uh, there was just like a lot of angles to it. And I was, I was so put off by it at the time. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, why would you even do this? Because, <laughs> because there was so little exposure to that. Because they, you know, they, they treated, like, Image treated itself like it was this great indie powerhouse. But the problem was being a powerhouse, granted, they were indie, they were creator-owned and things like that. They were still producing for the mainstream. So it, it didn't, they had to fall into certain boxes. I mean, like... Yeah. You you take a panel off of a Wildcats or a Stormwatch issue from 1995, compare it to an X-Men issue from 1995, it's going to be a hard pick as to which one's which, like, mm-hmm. you know, outside yeah. of the characters themselves. <laughs> Other than, like, um, uh, Eric Larson, Savage Dragon, and uh, and Sam Keith. Right, um, right. You had, you had standouts. And, yeah, you had and standouts even, even sure. Todd McFarlane spawned to an extent. But, I mean, they were... They were diamonds in the rough you know the other guys i still loved everything that they did but they were still trying to kind of do what they were already doing at marvel just their version of it you know um but yeah it was you know image was a nice way to get again to get another little taste of of something else like the max definitely stands out i think yeah the max was huge that was like way off the wall i I remember i mean i still i'll be full transparency i still have never read any of the max but like i i was I am to this day trying to complete a a Wizard Magazine collection, and there was a lot of features of the Max, and it was always so weird to me, the the creatures with the giant mouths with basically just Mm -hmm. a big head with a mouth and legs. (laughs) I was like, what (laughs) is this thing? This is so weird. Yeah. But that... Uh, It's it's cerebral. It's one of those things that really, like, I don't know if it even really explains itself fully by the time you get through it, but it's worth the ride, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. I'm I'm always interested to see it. I know they did a animated series, which was also awesome. I loved that. Good to know. I loved I know all the, the Spawn, MTV, the Spawn uh... animated series was really good. I remember that. Yeah, that was good. It was really good. I felt disappointed that there wasn't more of it, just because there yeah. was supposed to be, there was supposed to be, kind of they set up a sequel. They set up a second season, but then yeah. they just never followed up on it, and that's probably due to contracts and all that stuff. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting thing now to see, because supposedly the script for a new Spawn movie is done. Supposedly yeah. a new animation house is working on a new animated series. Oh, that's cool. I didn't I'm, know that. I'm really excited. Like, I think that property is really cool. I think I think McFarlane did. He kind of did a dirty coming out of Marvel. He pulled at, like the best <laughs> things of like Doctor Strange, Spider Man, like Venom, smashed them all together. Yeah. And you got this really cool character, but also, like, super tortured. And, like, they just went all out. I mean, like, issue, I think it was issue five. You, he just outright killed one of the bad guys, like, one of the main bad guys. Oh, was it? Was that the, was that the one that they introduced, the Violator? Billy Kincaid. Uh, it's been a while. Billy Kincaid. Should, oh, okay. Shouldn't have did what he did to those kids. <laughs> 
Remember he strung him up because he was the ice cream man? Oh, you're talking about that one. Yeah. McFarlane has actually talked about that story in, uh, in different interviews. He's, uh, he was venting something in that. <laughs> he was getting some, uh, some issues out, I think. Yeah, that, that, was, that was definitely – but it was one of those things like you – that was not – you didn't see that. You just didn't see that out of Modern Heroes. Yeah, no. uh, I mean, I think even up until recently, in the last five years maybe, Wolverine didn't even kill Kill. There was like some grievous wounds, but there was never a kill. You know, like yeah. you knew he was in a war. You assumed he killed but there was just never, uh, there was never any kind of that was weird. <laughs> uh, there was never any kind of you know blood on the ground kind of thing. Whereas in in Spawn ninety what was it ninety three ninety four, you know you have this just flat out dead guy chained up, ice cream stuck up in his face like <laughs> it was gruesome. It was gruesome. Yeah, it but was like gruesome. that was the kind of stuff that it, that was the the little rabbit hole you, you start going down. And that's when you. You touch into that, and then you get into other smaller image series that they started putting out a little bit later. Uh, and the late 90s, even Marvel hired some people that were not kind of in the polished category, and that's when the world kind of opened up to me personally as, as a reader, as an as a appreciator of the arts. Because to me, once I saw people who weren't... Like, I saw more angled art when they brought in... Um, What's his face? Uh, Umberto Ramos. Mm. He was on X Factor, if I recall correctly. Uh, no, Jeff Matsuda was on X Factor, but Jeff Matsuda was like one, like he was like one level away from like that clean, polished look. He had a little bit more angular to him. So then, when uh, when Ramos came out, I I think he was doing some other stuff in Wildstorm, but then they did that book series, uh, the like uh, imprint. Uh, called Cliffhanger, and they kind of did their own own stuff, and uh, th that's where Battle Chasers came out of. That's where Danger Girl came out of. He did uh, he did the Crimson, and he he's even more angular. But I was just like drawn to it. I was like, man, like what like really cool. So like it's funny because of that kind of path, I am now really drawn to like exaggerated musculature and like cool. It, it just I I really dig it. Like uh, there's a I, on yesterday's show, which was the uh, the comic show, I, I looked at some of the new costumes that they debuted, the new suits, and uh, Ironheart, uh, which is Riri Williams, the the replacement mm -hmm. for uh, for Iron Man. Uh, her new her new armor has like uh, like really exaggerated features. Her arm muscles, her leg muscles are all like really kind of bulked out individually. And I'm like, this is super cool. My wife's like, it doesn't look human. I'm like, no, no, no it doesn't matter. This looks cool. Like, <laughs> it looks dope. <laughs> Cool. You said you've switched disciplines a few times. Oh yeah. What I mean, besides the the hey, I want to try this out. You said you've been in film. Like, well, how did you go from 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 art? I mean, I, well, when I last saw you before before you know reconnected in the last few years, uh, you were you're still drawing, and I honestly always had just assumed that you were going to go into art. So mm -hmm. is film something? Did you like go to college for that? Did you? You know, was that just like a, I'm just going to jump on a set and see see if I like it kind of thing? <laughs> uh, you know, it was actually a total, um, like a fluke. I was, um, uh, well, like my, my, my art journey, I guess you could say, has been a little like 
uh, trepidatious. I, I've been kind of trying to like find what I can do for a living in art for a long time. And so I've, I've tried a lot of different things. And uh, when I first went to school um, out of uh, out of high school, I spent like a year uh, working in construction with my uncle and like uh, just doing stuff like that, pretty much sure. working in a warehouse and uh, for UPS and whatever. And I finally just snapped and was like, I can't like this isn't me. Like, <laughs> I, I could do this, but like it's but killing hate, me. Yeah, you hate yourself. I, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like I loved art so much and like I found that working the kind of jobs that I was taking was like taking a toll on my shoulder, my hands, all that stuff. And I was like, I was genuinely scared. Like, Hey, I'm, I might not be able to do this stuff that I love anymore. If I continue doing this stuff for work, you know? Yeah, that'd be rough. So I went to, uh, I went to college and at the time, uh, games were exploding. Um, that was like the big thing. And I loved video games. Like sure. <laughs> I, it was like another kind of passion too. I, I had taught myself to code and I'd made a couple like small little, uh, like just small games. Like I made a platformer game and a space shooter game that were pretty much clones of, of games of that type. Um, but they were fun. And so I thought, Hey, you know, I'm, I kind of have a knack for this stuff. Maybe I can make a, a career out of that. So I went to school for it. And, and that's sort of what started it. Um, because the school that I went to was not very focused. So rather than uh, streamlining the education of the students and, and getting them into jobs, we learned just a crap ton of different things. So I learned all That's about cool. Photoshop and I learned all about 3D. And I also had to take fine art classes and design classes and oh, wow. all this different stuff that I'd never been exposed to before. And like, it was just clicking because it was new and it was fun and it, it all had to do with art in some way, you sure. know? And then um, there was actually periods where I was so, <laughs> I was so, uh, I don't know, like just on a high of learning new things and feeling like anything was possible um, that I started thinking like, well, maybe I would do level design and to help me learn level design more, I'll start taking interior design for a while. <laughs> and so I signed up for interior design and I didn't last more than like a week in that, uh, <laughs> that, that course, but um but yeah, that started kind of a trend of me just like really wanting to try a bunch of different things, you know? And uh, I stayed in school for a while, I uh, well, six years. And eventually I transferred out to California where I landed my first job in games. Uh, I was doing uh, testing at the time, but um, it was kind of like I was, I was a tester, but I was also being looked at to work in the art department. So occasionally sure. I got to hand in samples to the art director there and he was giving me kind of like tips and pointers, like, you know, whether that was good or not, or whether it can work with, uh, with a games engine, et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. And so some circumstances happened and I, I had to leave, um, not that company, but the, the state I had to, I had to come back home. And, uh, and so I came back home, I was lost for a little while, went back to school to try to hopefully uh, finagle like an internship thing again. Um, but it, it wasn't happening. I came back like as soon as uh, companies started closing down here in Chicago, like Midway was shutting yeah. down. Um, <laughs> I giant, I think it was called Giant Hippo or something. There, there, was, a, there was like three companies that were worth getting uh, an internship at that were just gone all right. of a sudden. So. I did my own thing for a while, uh, or I should say tried to, and kind of freelanced doing uh, concept art or 3D models or uh, like level design kind of stuff. Uh, nothing too serious that really amounted to anything. Um, and then eventually 
after doing that for about seven years and really not getting anywhere, it was, it was frustrating. Um, and I, I had to start taking all kinds of other jobs again too. Like I worked at uh, goose Island for a little while as a, as a bartender, nice. which I don't drink. <laughs> so that was like a weird thing for me. <laughs> that, is, that is kind of strange pairing. It is. But, um, uh, I was kind of at my wit's end to be honest. And like, I was really starting to question all my life's decisions. It was like, well, what the hell did I do? You know? And like, this whole time that I'd been doing all of these things, like the one thing that I really actually wanted to be doing was comics, but I just never, I never thought that that was like a career. I never even bothered to, to really even look into it. I just figured that's impossible. So I <laughs> crossed that off the list, you know, sure. but I always was working on my stories in my free time throughout all of this stuff. And so I started diving into comics again, like hardcore and uh, I, I started going to the library and taking out a bunch of books and like studying up, brushing up on my drawing and like really just learning. But that wasn't paying the bills. And uh, and it was getting to be like a few months that that I was doing that. And it wasn't it wasn't happening fast enough. Like I wasn't getting good enough fast enough to even see the light at the end of the tunnel that I could make a career out of it. Um, and so my buddy. I know this is a long story, but I promise no, it no, no. <laughs> and it ends up where <laughs> answering the question. So my buddy uh, went to school for film and he had been working in film for several, several years. And he'd been trying to convince me to get involved with him for uh, a long time. And I had, I'd written some screenplays with him before I'd, I'd helped out with different special effects kind of stuff with him before, or like stand in to help with lighting or whatever, just cause we're friends. And just because I pick up things very quickly. So sure. it was easier for him to call me rather than like try to get an intern or, or somebody else that he would have to explain a bunch of stuff to. So, um, so I had a little bit of experience working with him and, and so I figured what the hell and this was during a year where i decided to to make some changes in my life i was just going to say yes to everything and that led to a lot of different adventures and and things that i'd never done before and one of which was saying yes to to help him on um a feature film which is crazy it was the first um the first thing that i ever did in film was like uh three months uh, in the in the freezing cold of, of February, going back and forth from uh, here in Chicago to uh, Gary, Indiana, to this abandoned like warehouse industrial district, <laughs> like shooting a zombie film. Nice. And uh, he works in the art department. So it was a lot of like, uh, you know, take this cornstarch and mix it with this and splatter it all over this abandoned meat locker. Okay, cool. You know, <laughs> like, sweet. That's outstanding. <laughs> And like we would make like these dummies and all, all kinds of stuff. And I would hang out in the uh, the makeup trailer with all of the special effects people. And, and that's when I really started seeing how I could put like uh, sculpting and stuff to use in a different way. Because they all were doing these crazy sculptures and, and making these like body suits and different prosthetics for the zombies and, and all of that. And um, and so you know one thing led to another. And I I got friendly with everybody there because I was just johnny on the spot like i would you know do you need something i can try to do my best you know that's just my personality right and so i made friends with everybody there and the, and the director loved me and he actually requested uh he tried to get a get a hold of me um for another thing so he was talking to people like who was that guy can can you get a hold of him uh i, I want him for another shoot and so i worked with him like three or four times after that on like smaller things like different commercials and promotional kind of stuff for uh 
different comedy troops and stuff in Chicago. Very cool. And uh, I remember on one one shoot, this was like a year, or maybe maybe even more, at least a year after we'd uh, worked together on his uh, on his feature, that uh, I, it was like a mini road trip, and I was I was driving with him up to Wisconsin for. Uh, there was a comedy troupe who was trying to start a YouTube channel. So they they had like their stand-up sets and their their different skits that they did live, they would record. And he was responsible for recording all of that too and producing the whole thing. But then they had these uh, other like scripted um, like video pieces that they wanted to put together. And so we went up to this super fancy house. It was crazy. And all these just super funny people to to film this like crazy skit about like i don't know some kind of uh graduation thing i don't i don't even remember it had there was a pool and a blow-up alligator and it was a great time but um <laughs> but i remember on that trip like he actually said like yeah pool and an alligator it was a great time <laughs> that would make a great t-shirt <laughs> um but no on that trip he said uh you know, well, you've been working in, in film for a while. Like, what what did you do before uh, before Chrysalis, which is the movie that that he made? And I was like, nothing, man. That was my first thing. He's like, really? <laughs> I was like, yeah. Like that was the first time I'd ever been on a set. He's like, get out of here. Wow. And so that was just kind of like a, a funny moment, but it led to getting even more work. And, and eventually I didn't have to count on all the contacts that, uh, that my buddy was setting me up with. I was totally on my own and people were starting to request me for all kinds of stuff. So I, I got to do commercials for like uh, that show 24. They did a, a cross promotional with oh, wow. uh, Sprint. So if you ever saw, there was like a period of time where they were doing this, it was, they were about to relaunch the series, I think. I don't quite remember. Uh, but there was these commercials for Sprint where there was this guy and he was like, this is the contact. <laughs> Your code number is blah, blah, blah. Um, so we made that whole set and it was it was awesome. Wow. And uh, I actually from stop motion to that set uh, just in like how different materials work together and how different glues work. Um, which proved to be a lifesaver for everybody that day because our walls were literally falling down during the shoot. And I kept trying to speak up and say something. And, and I was kind of saying it with authority because I knew exactly what I was talking about. But the person that I was working for did not want to hear it. They're like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, <laughs> but I finally, you know, she finally listened at the end of the day and, uh, and it totally saved the day. So then that started another chain reaction of getting more jobs and getting more work. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. And I really enjoyed it um, so much that, you know, it actually ended up evolving to me going from being a PA, which is essentially, you know, get coffee, try not to get in trouble and <laughs> do whatever anybody asks you right. to, being a production designer, which is like one of the the three heads of the departments on any feature film. Like I had, I had employees and I had a budget and I had, you know, money that I had to spend and things that were designed by me and a whole feature film. It was, it was insane. Absolutely insane. Um, but unfortunately, right before we started production, I popped my knee and it wasn't while I was working and it wasn't even doing anything exciting. I was literally just talking to the director and I, and we had just set everything in stone. Like we had just, uh, you know, forwarded the contracts and everything and, and, and agreed that we're moving forward. And in my excitement, I ran upstairs to like, 
I forgot exactly what it was that I was even uh, going upstairs to get, but I turned and twisted and popped my knee. Oh. And, um, and so I had to work for three months building. Like, even though I was a production designer, I also had to fill in as like an art director and do most of the construction myself. Right. Not all by myself, but with a team. And um, it was just wreaking havoc on my knee. And, and on a, on a, tight schedule like that especially because i'm head of a department there was zero time for me to go to the doctor to even see what was wrong with this thing and so uh, by the end of that shoot my knee was destroyed and i to this day i can i can't kneel anymore it just doesn't it doesn't happen (laughs) and so i had to stop doing that work there was just no way for me to move forward in that career anymore unless I was actually able to get hands on and, and build things, which I just couldn't. Um, and that really sucked. That was really hard because any other contacts that I had that could have maybe gotten me work doing, you know, uh, more design oriented stuff. Um, they started moving out to LA and like really getting more deeply involved in the industry and, sure. and moving up the ladder as they should, you know, right. but, uh, my options were I could either go back to school and get OSHA certified and get, you know, pretty much join the union um, because that was the only way that I was going to make it on my own anymore. And that just, it wasn't, wasn't an option anymore. And so I uh, made the best of a bad situation and was like, all right, great. Well, I'm going to go back to comics then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the rest is kind of history, I suppose. But uh but yeah, so that's how I got involved in film. Um, stop motion was a result of that too. Um, one of the producers for that uh, that first feature that I worked on actually uh, contacted me. Uh, I think a year, about a year later, um, because she had heard that I was meddling around with stop motion at the time, and so that led to to that as well. So everything that I've done has actually kind of led to something else. So I've never been shy about like trying new things or, or you know. Extending that's, no, myself. That's, that's definitely. Areas. That's definitely like a great lesson to learn out of all that because you you don't know what's going to work. You don't know what's going to hit for you. Yeah. And I think and I think that that the story is an incredible incredible lesson, especially for for people coming up because, like you said, there was there were a lot of hiccups there. There was a lot oh, of yeah. you know a lot of pitfalls, <laughs> and well, uh, yeah. you, you navigated them with uh, with expert precision. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I'm al- I'm alive. <laughs> hey, you you made it, and now now you're doing doing what you uh, what you want to do again, and it, it's it's I think that's that's like the most beautiful thing, honestly. I am personally like very early in the beginning of the, of my journey, and I like the the concept of like being just like waking up and doing what I want, and then going to sleep to to, to do it again the next day is like the most like amazing thing for me and like that that's what keeps me going so yeah. like knowing that like regardless of what happens you could still you could still get that done like you like i said you you've you've dealt with a lot there that's I mean, just the, in that and in, in that abridged version of the story you know like yeah, there's a lot career there's, aspects there's right yeah there's, of course of course there's life is always happening regardless of what you're doing for work very true so yeah there, there, there's always going to be hiccups there's always, always going to be roadblocks but man you you just push forward and and 
so now you're now you're now you're working on comics and you started working on space cat and then you were talking about a space cat web comic and i'm still waiting for space cat mike Where, yeah. when is this happening <laughs> <laughs> well if all goes well i i intend to have the the script for issue one done this year my my original plan at the start of this year was to have issue one done um, and that's still possible but it's not uh I don't have the same time frame that I had when I first decided that was going to be a reality, but I still have every intention of trying. So uh, it really hinges on how long it takes for me to get this uh, this next uh, heavy metal comic done, which I've kind of um, I've called an audible, I guess, <laughs> and I'm 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 calling in a little bit of help. Um, one of my one of my good friends that I've made since starting this whole uh comics journey um gaz uh gazbot gaz gretzky you should totally look up his stuff online too he's he's an amazing artist and and a, and a good friend um we're gonna do um well uh, it's not our idea I, I need to start by saying that um two other uh, awesome artists joshua kemble and Corey kerr um came up with this idea for this 48 hour art check-in i still don't know exactly what it's called but every other day pretty much they report to each other um publicly on online on youtube and they do like a short little like 15 to 20 minute show where they say like uh this is what i intended to accomplish in these these last few days this is what i accomplished these were my pitfalls this is what i'm going to try to do better next time kind of that that kind of thing an accountability sort of thing and they encouraged uh, everybody else to to try it too so um gaz and i are going to start that actually next tuesday so um we're going to do a weekly thing though so uh my my point is that i really hope this is going to help me get more on track and i and i know that it's going to help him too because no matter who you are and and how disciplined you get like working for yourself working from home it is so much harder than i think a lot of people realize it sounds easy and it sounds like 100%. the life but at some in some ways it's not it's worse because you you have so much more accountability that no one is holding you to but yep. yourself you know yep. and and the 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 repercussions aren't apparent until it's too late because again, <laughs> right. no one else is keeping track but you. So it's like, okay, I need to pay the rent. Oh, no money. <laughs> like, there are no dollars. What is happening? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have played Call of Duty or whatever. Um, I'm not that big on video games, but I, I have been, and I, I've learned that I just need to stay away completely. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so uh, my point is I'm hoping that uh, – doing these weekly check-ins is going to help keep me more on task and then uh and i'll hopefully crank this comic out as quickly as possible it's only 16 pages but okay. i like everything i try to set up like things that i'm bad at i want to i want to do those things and and so just like with my last comic I'm, I'm doing that for this one where like i'm focusing on things that i'm no good at and, gotcha. and hoping that i can learn through this so um, it's going to be about a month that I'm taking. Uh, the, I'm already through the first week of that that month. Nice, uh, like thirty days um, that I'm uh, that I'm taking to to just focus on like the preliminary stuff. So like I'm doing a lot of concept art. I'm doing a lot of uh, like studies. I'm going through and, and brushing up on my anatomy, like specific anatomy for the kind of characters that I want to make. Um, different things with dynamic posing and I'm teaching myself watercolors. Actually, I just bought the paper yesterday and I've actually been doing a little bit here since we've been talking. <laughs> oh, wow. nice. So, cause I want to color the whole thing in watercolors is I, I just absolutely love 
that aesthetic and uh and i'm gonna give that a shot but once my 30 days is up then whatever i know i know and that's what i that's the tool set i have to go into this project with and so after that you know the goal is like a page a day but i'm i'm probably not going to hit that but we'll see and hey. then i'll start working on space cat after that hey like as soon as i'm done with that i'm i'm ex i'm excited i'm super excited about space cat i'm super excited to see hopefully to see your book in uh in heavy metal i think that'd be amazing oh man that'd be so cool i think i honestly think your style lends itself very very well to to what's in there to like what i've seen in heavy metal yeah uh, i think, I think it, so it, too it actually really, it really jams in with what's there yeah, especially when I'm like on uh, on all cylinders, you know, like I have I've definitely developed kind of a new style over the these last few years. That's a little bit more light and 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 uh, all inclusive, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, when I'm firing on all cylinders, I, I really think that my I have kind of more of like an urban gritty, weird sort of aesthetic that I, I think fits well with that, too. Right. Um, for sure. And, and I'm kind of I'm gonna kind of try to combine them a little bit uh and 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 also come up with something new uh for this next comic so we'll we'll see what that looks like so far i've only seen little glimpses of it actually coming through in the in the concept stuff that i've been doing but that tells me that it that it's possible so uh hopefully at the end of the 30 days it'll i'll have something i'll have like a proof of concept that's like yes that's that's what it's gonna be <laughs> excellent. excellent but uh yeah, and actually, uh, you don't have to wait for Heavy Metal because uh, Heavy Metal's contracts are super loose, so I'm allowed to publish it elsewhere. So I'm actually oh. going to be publishing all my stuff on my Patreon before it's ever published in Heavy Metal. I mean, they, cool. they give you a, a time frame of like, well, it could be tomorrow, it could be five years. So um, for, for, those, yeah. for those listening, watching in the future, uh, I think everyone is aware of my just utter, utter shamelessness in plugs. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I would just like to tip my hat, sir, because that was the sneakiest, best. <laughs> no, it, it was just like, by the way, Patreon. Uh, <laughs> it was just like <laughs> that was brilliant. That was brilliant, and I, I, I tip my hat, sir. That was uh, <laughs> honestly, I was get on that Patreon. Get on the Patreon. I, w I really wasn't even trying to plug. <laughs> that's really that's dude, that, but that's the best way when you when it's just built into your conversation. You're like, oh, it's going to be going on the Patreon. <laughs> Boom! Like that's informational and it's enticing, right? Because it's not just like, hey, hook it up on Patreon. It's this is why you should go to Patreon. That's Good. right. I like that. I like that. You should teach <laughs> classes in that. <laughs> Actually, I mean, and again, I'm not trying to make a plug, but this is just a matter of fact thing. Like, I'm not releasing any of my comics in any other way except for print right now. Mm -hmm. And so if it's not in print, the only place that I'm releasing it is Patreon until I figure out how that's going to work out. Because I'd like to go through publishers if I can, because I want, I want my stuff to be read by as many people as possible, you know. But that takes time, and I'm impatient, and I want people to read it, so... <laughs> That's like the best place you. that I can think of because most you. publishers are actually that's like a safe zone. If I were to publish it on Webtoons or Tabastic or any of those other places, they look at that more as like published, like you've released it publicly. But Patreon, they tend to be okay. Uh, they'll still take your work if you've published on Patreon. So it's kind of right. like a, a nice little safe zone. Plus, it's also like a it's also like a uh, 
exclusive thing, right? You're 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 giving exclusive previews right. to people who follow you, to people who are actually contributing to you. So yeah. I, I think it's I, I really like the, the Patreon model. I think it's uh, it's very interesting as far yeah. as uh supporting people because there's just there's such a disconnect. I think there is a, a huge uh, there's a huge kind of belief from the user base on the internet that everything should be free on the internet. Yeah. And uh, you run into problems. You know, you, you, you have people that use ad blockers on YouTube being like, oh, those greedy YouTubers. But like, yeah, but some of those people, like, depend on those ad dollars for, you know, bread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, you know, not, not, not everyone's making money off of it, but some people are. And, like it's kind of a jerk move. You know, that's, I, I, that's why when I, I bought, uh, I wanted, uh, Google play music, but it came with YouTube red. And I was like, bonus, because that's what I want. I want, I want a, I, I don't like watching ads. So like, but I still want to support, like if I'm watching your right. content, I feel like you should get something out of it. That's just my personal yeah. belief. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, if I'm taking your, you know, three to five hours of work to create a 10 minute video, you know, cause that's the other thing people consider. Like they look at, and I think I'm sure you've heard this before, but they look at something where, Oh, I, I need a logo done. And you say, well, this is how much it's going to be. Oh, well I've got Photoshop. I'll come up with something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll come up with something great. <laughs> right. Right. And then that's, it, it, it really, it, it really, 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 bothers me when when people try to go down that route and essentially try to avoid paying people for their work yeah uh, and then they, they devalue they surely artists i think artists and creators in general are devalued by the consumer a lot yeah uh, they just oh like you you love drawing right just draw me a free piece or draw me a superman right no big deal yeah i mean a lot of that too comes from sort of like a collective uh, perceived insecurity too. you know, a lot True. of artists, especially young, and I mean, young is in age young there, you could be a young artist and, and be 50 and, right. and you're just starting. But I mean, specifically like young as in age young, True. there's a lot of insecurities when you're growing up, you know, and when you're an artist, you're, you're, you're insecure about not only yourself, but your art at that time. And I, I feel like that's the age when you, you start to, kind of uh get influenced by that perception that that your your talent should be free you know what i mean it's right. it's it's a big thing to ask somebody to even look at it let alone appreciate it you know and and especially if you're you're still maturing and in, in your art form and it's not quite there yet it's like it it it, it instills this insecurity that almost doesn't go away, almost like a, a kind of a trauma, <laughs> you know? And so you have these people that grow up and feel like, well, I'm just blessed that anyone's even looking at it, which to some extent, sure, that's true. But I also see art as just as much of a, a trade as it is an art. Um, and if you're if you're good at your trade, then you deserve to be paid for it, and you you deserve that that recognition, just like a carpenter, just like a plumber, just like you know anybody else. For um, sure, for sure. I mean, and, you, you look at something like I've got I've got tile on my floor in in the kitchen, and I, <laughs> I, I I don't know why, but I've been thinking about redoing the tile recently. Don't know why. It's just like a thing in my head. But I, I'm like I could do it myself. I'm like, or I could pay someone to do it, and they'd do it well. <laughs> like, yeah. I could do it myself. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. if I took the time and made the mistakes, 
I could I could not I could bang it out in a couple days, I'm sure. Or I could pay someone, they'll come in here in an hour, use their 40, 50 years of experience or 20 or 10 years of experience and just bang it out. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be good. It'll be done well with the proper precautions taken, with the proper measurements. Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's one thing to, like, go to Home Depot and buy the tools. It is a 100% different thing to know what to do with them. Yeah. <laughs> like, Definitely. Like, I, I was toying around for a while with buying a, a router, which is an actual, I don't know if you know, I mean, like, you were oh, in construction, yeah. you know what a router is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, it's it's how you make, like, beveled edges and things like that on, on wood, because I was going to redo my own stairs. And oh, I watched, man. like, 15 <laughs> videos, and I was like, no, I'm like, there's just... There's a lot of control involved. No, I'm just going to, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I was like, no, I could do it. It's only like a $70, $80 tool. Like, I could, I could knock it. And then I watch videos and I'm like, mm, no, no. This, this requires <laughs> skill, finesse, and like things that I, I, I can cut wood. And sometimes it's a straight line. That's where I'm at. Like, that's, I know my bar. And that's, I think a lot of people, a lot of consumers uh, don't, don't kind of see their own limitations in, in that. Uh, mm-hmm. especially with digital arts um you know people will say stuff like oh i've got photoshop i can knock it out oh well, I, wordpress is free right i could just make my own website you absolutely yeah. <laughs> could but you can't make wordpress dance like i can <laughs> like, right. it's just different it's different like there's yeah, just I... isn't uh it, it, it there's an element that is experience that you can't replicate that's where I feel like, you know, it's uh, people will only understand if we change things somehow. And and I think because of the digital age came so fast, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, of time to, to sit down and, and actually think about, well, where are things going and how is this going to wind up? And for a lot of people, artists specifically, they were excited just to finally get that much exposure all at once, yes. you know? But now, you know, all right, we're, we're used to it now. Now this is a, a fact of life. <laughs> right. This isn't. Uh, this is not exposure anymore. Like this is you're you're giving away free stuff at this point. You know, anybody right. can copy anything that you've posted and turn it into a wallpaper or uh, whatever that they want to use it for. And that's that's a reality we all have to face. So I think artists need to start limiting their like what they put out there for free. And I, I think that's completely reasonable. It goes back to like we were talking about the nineties before remember ash cans. Like when's the last time yes. you saw an ash can? I th- but I think like, I think that's the kind of th- thing you should bring back. Like that's I think people, saying. people should, yeah. if you go to a, 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 like I would rather, this is 100% God's honest truth. If I go to a convention, I would much rather a thousand percent rather walk up to a table and instead of buying somebody's art print of green lantern, buy an ash can of their work. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. Because I'm here to see you. I'm I've seen Green Lantern. I know Superman. Yep. Cool. I appreciate that you make a really cool Nightwing drawing. That's outstanding. I, that's great. What do you do? Now, yeah. I'm not saying that everyone should do that. If you are not, if you are just the art talent and just want to do art, there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's also right. kind of a misconception these days in that. Everyone should be the creator and everyone should create something. Whereas many shows, I meet people, I meet people who just draw, they just Mm -hmm. draw, they draw really, really well, but they don't have their own properties and they don't have their own books. 
because they just really want to draw. They can accept an instruction, say, draw this, do it that way, and they do that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But to that to that point about the uh, the Ashcans and 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 bringing it back, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think that we can even extend that into into the digital realm too by a kind of general consensus among artists and um, among people that post things digitally online that like, hey stop giving out the whole thing for free but feel free to post your first chapter you know like entice people get them interested of course yeah or i fully believe the that first you should. Issue or yeah. whatever but find find some kind of consensus where we can we can put a stop to having the the norm be that we need to give away our 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 hard work entirely for free before we're ever allowed to make a dime off of it. I don't think yeah. that's fair at all. Yeah. I don't think that's fair at all. Because you got a lot of people that will follow the web comics or whatever. They're loyal fans and they're greatly appreciated. Don't get me wrong. But then when it comes time to actually make the book sale to put food on the table for mm -hmm. that person, where is everybody? I mean, there's some really successful Kickstarters, but do you honestly think that everybody that read it is, is even pitching in a dollar? Like it's it starts to get a little a little sketchy and it right. starts to get a little a little grim actually that's why a lot of people say there's no money in comics well we have to make sure that there is like they're really popular right now they're they're a commodity just like anything else and absolutely i mean I I, somebody was picking up their books yesterday and they were like oh is the new what, what was it jeepers creepers comic is that out i was like like the movie <laughs> from like 1998 <laughs> you talking about Jeepers Creepers comic? But yeah, apparently there's a new Jeepers Creepers series. And like there's a bunch of stuff that's there's a John Wick comic, which like those movies were great. They did they sold tons of money. And then they're like, oh, guess what? Let's tap into this other market, get a few more dollars out of comics. Guess what? I didn't know there was a John Wick comic. No. They <laughs> they put it in the comic shop and they expect that you having likely seen all these comic book movies know about john wick and are like oh hey i'm into john wick let me pick this up yeah like there and, and i think that the difference in the modern day and i think this is kind of where a lot of di difference can be drawn from like now versus 30 years ago the difference now is there is no barrier for entry uh, right. i've talked to people I talked to, on the Wednesday show uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked to Michael Heitkamper. He is uh, the creator of a couple books that go through Insane Comics in Rockford. Um, and he, he said that there is still, like, a huge barrier just to get into Diamond. Just, yeah. and, and Diamond <laughs> is the authority. Yep. I talked to... I talked to um, uh, Comfort, uh, Adam, Comfort Love, and Adam Withers. They they created uh, the Uniques and uh, Rainbow in the Dark. Rainbow in the Dark, one of one of my favorite storylines of all time. Um, and they had their first and second volume of the Uniques. Uh, they started re remaking the original book, and then they're continuing the storyline. The first and second volume were through Diamond, but because there were so few pre-orders, they couldn't go back in. Oh. They had such an they had an issue, and because people don't conceptualize the importance of pre-ordering, yeah, they're like, "I'll just they pick it up from you. I'll just, I'll just pick it up from you at the show." That's yeah. not that's not the point. 
that's not the the same thing happened with our kickstarter i had a bunch of people that were messaging me congratulating us on the the successful kickstarter and then they were like you know let me know uh let me know when i can buy the book and i'm like you 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 could have yeah that's (laughs) what the kickstarter is and it would have been cheaper for you if you bought it then versus now but i don't understand like there's an apprehensiveness uh about using app uh using kickstarter for some reason or just an unwillingness to learn i i got some messages from some people that were just like oh i don't know how to use kickstarter so just let me know when i can buy the book sure and i mean i think there is some there is a stigma to it because i know they're prior to their more recent rules and more recent as in like the last five years let's say but prior to their more recent rules of like you have to produce something before there's a lot of horror stories of like two million dollar projects yeah and never produced a thing yeah i know you and i have talked about some of that too like you you're still waiting on a comic I'm from like waiting on a seven-year-old right? book you know call them out man put them <laughs> on blast right here now <laughs> but that's the thing you know he, he's still he's still pushing <laughs> forward he's still doing what he loves but the problem is you can you can enjoy doing what you do like as a creator you could if you're an artist and you want to draw that's fantastic, but don't then set a timeline for yourself. Don't set a goal for yourself if you, if you can't meet it. Not like not even a little bit. You yeah, know? I mean, there's a difference. Like you can be an artist and do whatever you want. That's fine. But if you want to be a professional, and I mean taking people's money, yep. at that point you have a responsibility. Like not not even just as a as an artist, as a human being. Like that's just wrong, straight up wrong. I wish I remembered the name. Because I'd call him out for you. <laughs> bullshit. Oh, I don't but mind saying I don't mind saying it. It's Sean Aline. Sean Aline, the there book is go. called Sean, Azan. Come on, man. The Get book the is called Azan. I I'm I'm still waiting for that book. Listen, I really like the concept of the book. Like I'm interested in the universe. I'm I'm in. I'm already bought in. And that's the thing. That's the problem. It's not that I backed him and I'm just like on principle mad about it. It's that right. I really want to be in this universe. I want the stories told. Tell me the stories. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's what I I want to be part of the the world. You know, like I'm I'm in the space cat you know camp already. You just let me <laughs> issue ones out. I'm there. Done. You know, like it, it, it's it's already we're you know we're bought in. Doesn't matter. That's why I was talking yesterday. I'm like I don't need to see a trailer for Captain Marvel. I'm going to see Captain Marvel. <laughs> Yeah, that looks pretty That's, cool. I, I'm already in. <laughs> Haven't seen a single scene. I've seen a couple, like, on-set shots. I know the suit's not done because, like, they're going to post it. So yeah. it's going to look better. But, like, I don't even care. It could look exactly as the, the way it does without any post. I'd still watch the movie. Because <laughs> I don't care. Like, I'm already so sold into that universe. You could sell me anything at this point. If you want to make a Squirrel Girl movie, I'm in, Marvel. I'm in. Oh, man. I'd be in. <laughs> I, I would take that. <laughs> like that's what I say. Like it, it, it doesn't matter at this point. Like we're so far beyond. Whereas, like if Fox was like, uh, "Well, we really want to do like an Iceman feature." No, no. no. <laughs> what do you got against Iceman? It's not even Iceman. I'm just really terrified that Fox would mess it up. Oh yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they, they're, they're. Their standards for quality film are not great. I mean, I'm sorry. Well, now like, it might be Comcast. If, did you hear the news today? They Comcast wants it. to outbid Disney. Disney is like God. I know. You can't outbid <laughs> but, the God of media. Like, well, if Disney is God, then Comcast is like the devil. 
<laughs> and a better sure. and a better yeah. a better analogy could never have been made. Good call. Good call. <laughs> oh, that's great. That was great. That's fantastic. And I honestly, I think we should close it at that because sure it, it doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that. Nope. <laughs> Mike, I want to thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, I really appreciate the insights. That's you've had a really interesting story, a really interesting career. Uh, I am super psyched. I can't wait for the next thing and all the things that you'll be producing coming up. Awesome. I'm rooting for you for, 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 for uh, heavy metal. I was going to say full metal, but I'm like, I know that's not it. I know it's not. Well, if they don't take me, I'll start my own magazine, Full Metal. Full Metal, there you go. Full Metal Comcast. <laughs> I don't know. Full Metal Comcast. <laughs> I really, I'm I'm hoping you get in. I'm super psyched. Uh, I, I don't buy magazines. That's that's like a twenty dollar magazine, isn't it? It's it's a pricey one. No, it's like six bucks, I think. Really? Yeah, it's pretty cheap. That's shit for. Did you get like six books in that? Mm, More than that, sometimes it depends. I'm saying that's that's cheap. They uh, you got DC putting out a single story for four dollars. Yeah. They have, uh, they do like long running like graphic novels they'll put in here. So sometimes you'll get a, a story that spans over like nine issues, um, and then they have little like one to two page like fill in stories, eight page stories, sixteen it's, page. It's story. kind of the modern. It's kind of the modern pulp magazine. It's the modern fantasy books. Yeah, yeah. It's a. It's like an anthology. Like you know? all your all your favorite folks. If you don't know all your favorite stories ever came from people who were putting out stuff on a monthly basis. They put out Lord of the Rings came out as individual chapters in mm-hmm. a in a like a yeah, regular actually, magazine. That's true. Forgot about that. <laughs> Over several years. Imagine you could go pick up the whole thousand page collection, read the whole thing tomorrow if you wanted to. Yeah. People had to wait the... years to to see what happened to Frodo. <laughs> A lot of great artists uh, got their start in heavy metal too. Um, Jean Giraud or Jean Giraud, Mobius, mm-hmm. um, Jodorowsky, uh, Simon Bisley, um, Ooh, Bisley, nice. Michael Lisner. Um, Wait, like, Vampirella, like, like uh, Don Michael Lisner? Yeah, he's no done. Shit. I'm pretty sure he's done covers, if not no um, shit actual comics. Although I can see uh, that, I can see that. That was another. Mm-hmm. That was another kind of like indie indie thing that was like really kind of off the, off the wall. Like his all his stuff always seemed very symbolic. Yeah, yeah. Like everything, every piece of art I ever saw from Dawn, I was like, it seems like because I never really read any of the books, but mm-hmm. when Wizard would talk about it, they would interview. It would always seem like everything. Like there were no panels. It was just like these single images that you just had to interpret what the was going on <laughs> pretty much <yeah. laughs> i was like man that's that seems just too deep for me <laughs> like well another guy that uh i'm extremely excited about this actually he's uh he's one of my favorites from heavy metal um enrico marini he just did a run of batman that looks freaking phenomenal nice. and it's coming out in trade in like i want to say november um but it's all watercolor and Ooh. it's beautiful absolutely beautiful and I didn't think that, you know, uh, somebody could uh, some do redesigns that could compare to some of the ones that we've seen. But he's really done some amazing redesigns of some of these characters. His Joker, 
I really love it. It looks so cool. Definitely worth checking. And here I am plugging somebody else. Right? Jeez. Oh, Just plug it. Comics. Always plug Com. it. What am I talking oh, about? Space, space Cat Comics. Right, right yeah. down that way. That way? No, this way. This way. I can't even plug it the right way. All the, all but, the links. Make sure you check them out. For those listening and watching in the future, Tomahawk, uh, welcome to the end of this broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. We were talking with Mike Emirates. Check out the links. Check out the links down below. Check them out. Space, space, com. Uh, oh, hey, I appreciate that. Uh, space, SpaceCatComics.com. Uh, he's producing an independent series. He's also working on some stuff going towards... Uh, going towards a uh, heavy metal submission. Uh, also, this broadcast will be available as a video and uh, podcast on all the major things, iTunes podcasts, uh, Stitcher, and whatever Google Play Music is going to come turn into in about two weeks. <laughs> I know they're changing the, the platform, so that's a thing. Those listening and watching in the future, if you are watching, make sure you drop some comments down below. If you have any questions for Mike, I'll make sure he comes back to the video and uh, answers any questions. And uh, if you are, I just realized, man, mm -hmm. we we never even mentioned the anthology. You can buy the anthology. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy the anthology on spacecatcoms space dot com. You can, and it's got work for me and Dalibor. It's in true. There. It's true. It's, it's my well, it's, it's my first published work, yeah. first and only published work so far. See, so there you go. Incentive. Incentive. Check it out. Support me, support Mike. Appreciate you guys for watching. If you are listening to us, make sure you join us uh, next week when we do another one of these with somebody else and talk about different stuff. But it's always in the pursuit of your passion as a business, doing what you love for a living. Thank you again, Mike, for hanging out with us. Thank you, those, for watching, for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Adios.